I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back, everybody. It's another Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes and Sean McAdoo with you ahead on this podcast over the next hour or so. We'll ask the question of uh, whether or not the Buffalo Sabres are the most likable team in the NHL right now after their torrid start to the season. And uh, maybe on the flip side, I will ponder if there's some fan bases that should be getting ready to hit the panic button after they've gotten off to a slow start. We'll touch on some relaxed dress codes from around the National Hockey League, too, as players finally get a chance to show off their personalities when they're rolling into the rink. Uh, we've got a bunch of really fun mailbag questions, too, that we want to get into, including a voicemail from a listener about the upcoming Montreal-Seattle matchup, plus another listener goes the extra mile in an attempt to secure the down-goes-brown inter- uh, internship spot that we talked about last week, and we'll wrap up as we always do, with a little This Week in Hockey History. Why don't we look back at a time when the NHL used to hold its All-Star game before the season even started. We'll uh, discuss if that is maybe a good idea that they should uh, they should bring back. So I got to ask you first, though, to kick things off. Uh, I, got, I got a few emails from people. We got some comments about the Down Goes Brown internship program. Uh, we'll get to that uh, question a little bit later. Did anybody hit you up via email or Twitter and say, I want to be uh, the Down Goes Brown intern? Yeah, uh, I, I did hear from uh, <laughs> from a couple of people. And I got to say, there is already a pool of potential applicants because uh, it, both last year and this year, when, when I do this stupid prediction contest uh, that I always go into without any kind of plan, uh, I, I hear from people saying, look, man, I know how computers work. I can scrape all this data for you. I can make this happen. And so, uh, I've got, uh, people who are looking at ways to do that. Um, that I, I don't know if that's intern level or, uh, or something else, but, uh, there, there's, you know what the, the hockey community is always looking to help, uh, especially when they see someone who looks like they need help. And obviously <laughs> I give off that vibe, uh, and, uh, I appreciate the offers out there. Yeah. So listen, like I said, a little later when we open up the mailbag, we got to somebody doing some research kind of on your behalf. So I know that you wrote your uh, top five, bottom five power rankings early in the season, and there was a special spot for the Buffalo Sabres in there. Off to a great start. And you did about two weeks ago before the season started. You did write in your, hey, here's let's throw everyone a bone. You were like, hey, the Sabres kind of have a soft schedule Maybe just maybe they'll win a few games out of the gate and we'll be all looking at each other saying, wait, what? But I got to tell you, are you not kind of like, kind of, who's not pulling for the Buffalo Sabres? Yeah. That's yeah. what I want to know. That, They're well, lovable. I, I can't imagine anybody. I mean, even they they have the rivalries, Boston, Montreal, Toronto. Uh, 
I can't imagine there's any of those fan bases that don't want to see some good happen to to Buffalo. Because uh, here's my thing, and I, I I think we maybe touched on this theory before, but my theory is that when people say I don't like this team, they almost never mean I don't like this team, and they almost never mean I don't like the players on this team. What they mean is I don't like the fans of this team. Ninety yeah. percent of the people out there who tell you they hate the Maple Leafs, no, they don't. They hate either Maple Leaf fans in general, or they hate like a Maple Leaf fan or say, and it just all projects from there. Same thing with, you know, whatever other team in any sport that you don't like, the chances are it's, you don't like the fan base. And then everything else trickles down from there. Who hates Buffalo Sabres fans at this point? How can you possibly 10 years of misery that these guys have gone through? It's a great market still every year, Towards the top of the TV ratings, amazingly, for not just their own team, but everyone's. It's a great hockey market, um, but it's it's just, uh, it, they've been through so much with the hockey team and the football team, which is finally good. At, at, so at least they, the, the city's got that going for them. I can't imagine anybody's rooting against the Sabres right now, um, even if we're not, let's just say, completely convinced that this, this start is... Uh, is the real deal. It's just great to see. And by the way, I got to say the uh that piece that I wrote that you referenced where I said, "Hey, look at their opening schedule, man. This this thing is set up for them to maybe surprise us." Um that's I, I that's my favorite type of thing to write because I've got a whole bunch of people right now telling me, "You called it, man. Like you 3 and 0. This is it." You know, I I've, I've seen people they're tagging me in tweets to other people saying, "This guy called it. You got to go back and read this guy's. He predicted it." I didn't predict anything. I didn't yeah. call anything. I didn't say it was going to happen. I said it could happen, which is the most risk-free way to do a prediction, right? Because if you're wrong, I mean, you just if it doesn't happen, you just go, well, yeah, I mean, I said it could happen. I didn't say it would. And if it does, you get the reaction I'm getting, even though if you actually go back and read it, nowhere do I say it's going to happen. Uh, I just said it's it's possible. And it is. It's, it's interesting. This week, uh, they've got Boston tomorrow. Uh, they've got Tampa a couple games after that. First real challenges against, uh, um, you know, the, the higher echelon of teams. But then after that, it goes right back. It's another five or six games against weak teams. I'm telling you, this team could be eight and three, seven and four, something like that. And then from there, it's the whole us against the world. Nobody believed in us. It's 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 a narrative and it's nonsense. But sometimes nonsense narratives work. And, uh, you know, maybe we might see that in Buffalo. It would be. An incredible story if it did. And we could all get behind them and root for them right up until they made the playoffs and then something would happen in game one and we'd all turn on them and the cycle yeah. continues. Okay, so let me throw this out. You're a big fan of, uh, you know, prop bets. And by the way, I should point out that our good friend Jesse Granger, uh, the segment brought to you by BetMGM, uh, Jesse did the late game on Wednesday, Vegas plan. So unable to uh, record with us this week, working late into the night on Wednesday. So he's a no-go for this Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, which is totally fine. Let me ask you this question, Sean. Who's going to have a better record after 10 games? The Buffalo Sabres or the Buffalo Bills? I see. I knew you were going there, and that's going to be... Boy, uh, you know what? I'd see, you you got to go Bills, but, uh, I mean, they've, they've got some ground to make up. Uh, yeah, I... Man, I the, the thing with the Sabres is, wouldn't it be nice if this was happening and we hadn't seen a couple of big win streaks from them in, in recent years? I mean, it, it feels like it's happened two or three times that they've either started hot or got hot pretty quick in the season. They had that one year with, oh, wasn't it like a 10-game win streak they were or something? 10, they, they won 10 games in a row. They were sit, We were all tweeting out after American Thanksgiving, they've done it, they're in the yeah. playoffs, and then they just the the, the bottom fell out from them. I feel like I and I was not putting them in my top five and getting a lot of pushback and uh, that held up, let's just say. But, uh, you know, yeah. But but hey, how many players on this team were on those teams? Probably it was only a few years ago, but probably not many. Different coach, different GM, everything. And by the way, this is, this is a very cool story for, for John Ganato as well, just as a coach, because this is a guy who comes in and says, you know yeah. what? We're not going to forecheck. We're not going to clutch and grab and try to win 2-1. Let's open it up a little bit. Let's let's play some hockey. I'm happy to see him. I, I wasn't a huge fan of the decision to bring him back, not because I don't, I don't like him as a coach, but I felt like, you know, it, you need some something new from outside the organization. And, and so far, it's a good start. And it's worth saying that this is, how many times do you see a, a team that we all think is going to be bad 
and they win a few games. And then you dig under there and you realize it's just goaltending. They're they're yeah. shooting 20%. Their goaltenders are standing on their heads. It's completely unsustainable. It's it's you know, the, the wins are real, but everything underneath it is fake. That's not really what's happening with the Sabres. The Sabres are playing really good hockey. They are deserving the wins that they're getting. They're, they're not fluking into this. This isn't they're they're not just going out and riding a hot goalie. Um, they're playing really well. And, you know, if it lasts, cool. If it doesn't, hey, the Sabres fans will have been happy for three games, and that's three more than most of us thought they would get during this year. So, you know, so what I think is interesting is what effect, if any, does this hot start have on the Jack Eichel situation? Like, if you're Kevin Adams now, do you just sit back in your big chair and you'd be like, well, let's just uh, wait and see how this plays itself out? And, I mean, maybe if they were 0-3, uh, we're having a different conversation. We're like, they got to get rid of them. Trade them now. Get something. But guess what? They're 3-0. and So maybe, yep. I, and I don't know, maybe it doesn't matter, but maybe it buys you a week or two or three. Who knows? I, yeah, but I, it might be an impact here, right? I don't think it matters to Jack Eichel, but it might matter to the GMs that yep. are trying to trade for him. You know, what's what's that phrase I think Elliot Freeman loves to use where, he, you know, when things are going bad, he says, the GMs, nobody throws you uh, life rafts, everybody throws you anchors, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, potentially does buy Kevin Adams some time. There's some some good vibes in Buffalo now, so we, he's not under the pressure. Now, let me flip this around on you though, and, and you tell me if if I'm if I'm off off the board here. Going into the season, nobody thought the Sabers were going to be any good. Nobody thought they were. I mean, forget about the playoffs. They're going to be 20, 30 points out of the playoffs. So in that sense, Kevin Adams really wasn't ever under any pressure to get a deal done ASAP. Because honestly, oh, we're going to lose tomorrow. Who cares? Yeah. That, that loss is not going to matter. If they hang in and they get to like November, you know, maybe even December, and they're still in the race, does it actually work the other way where suddenly the pressure starts to ratchet up? Because people start saying, wait a second, wait a second. We could make the playoffs with this team. And we know from last year, you make the playoffs, anything can happen. So why don't we trade Jack Eichel now and get, get the reinforcements that are going to actually come in and help us. I could see it going that way. The The flip side of that, though, is that if if they actually are winning with this ragtag bunch of rejects they've got, it sort of becomes, a, you know what, this is us. This is our, we don't want any outsiders. We don't want the reinforcements. Right. We got a special thing going and, and you just roll with it as long as you can. But it will be interesting to see if they actually are sticking around the race towards, you know, into December. Does, does the pressure somehow loop around and, and actually start to go up again? Because people are saying, we might actually have something here. And if we had two or three pieces that we could get for Jack Eichel, who's sitting at home, we might, we might really be onto something. We'll have to yeah. see. Yeah. And, you know, I think Buffalo has been a really cool story to watch. I think the Red Wings have been really fun. They've won a couple games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Columbus has probably done maybe a little bit better than people thought out of the hop. Uh, you know, LA, like there's, there's been Ottawa's some look good. It's Ottawa, San Jose's like, two and oh, it's been, it, it's, it's yeah. almost like you had, I, I know you're a Simpsons guy, right? Oh, yeah. The, 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 in my opinion, the greatest Simpsons episode of all time, the, the base, the softball one, right? The, yeah. the, where, and then you've got, so you've got all the all-stars, right? That's like all the bad teams. And then throughout the episode, they just get picked off one by one. And it's almost like that. It's like the Red Wings are, you know, running into the house and, and saving the yeah. furniture. And uh, the Senators are, you know, falling down the hole with Ozzie Smith and everything. Down. And then it's like all the bad teams are actually showing something. All of the bad teams are looking pretty good. And then you got like the Arizona Coyotes are the Daryl Strawberry where you're like, no, you guys are still there. You guys are still. That's the one team that we're all like is going to be bad. And it's and like Arizona is, is like. Oh, let us show you what bad looks like. We're the one team where you're looking at the scorecard going, all the bad teams are good, and they're tapping you on the shoulder going, no, we're still here. Uh, Arizona Coyotes um, giving up seven, eight goals a night. We're terrible. Yeah. See, now I got the the phrase, Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw (laughs) seared into my mind, I think, like a bunch of other (laughs) listeners. So, okay. So on the flip side, though, like, okay, there's a bunch of teams that are punching above their weight that we didn't think that they would. Now- We'll caution it with everybody saying it's a little bit early. So it's a little early to be optimistic. But as we know, as hockey fans, it's never too early to be pessimistic. So what about some of these teams? I'm looking at you, Montreal. I'm looking at you, Chicago. I'm maybe kind of side-eyeing 
couple of other teams. Calgary's looks a little flat. Winnipeg maybe looks a little flat. Like, is there anybody who your opinion of them through seven, eight days of the regular season, you're like, you know what? Yeah, I I kind of have changed my opinion on this team yeah. in the first week has, or has it, you know, maybe cemented your view of, of anybody? Let me start with the positive. Calgary and Winnipeg, two teams you mentioned, I'm not too worried about. Um, Calgary, their underlying numbers have been really, really good in the two games. And I know some people will roll their eyes at that, but hey, we all understand that hockey is a game of bounces and sometimes you don't get the bounces and you got to dig a little further and say, how well were, are they playing? And some of the numbers indicate they're playing really well. Now, the counter to that could be, yeah, it's Daryl Sutter. This is what Daryl Sutter does. His teams always have great underlying numbers. Sometimes the record just doesn't follow. And uh, maybe that happens in Calgary too. But I I think they'll be okay. It's only been two games. Winnipeg, um, boy, that that game a couple nights ago in Minnesota was wild. And uh, no pun intended. Yeah, that that was pun intended. It it was not. But but, and also... A crushing loss in one sense, but also they lost that game because of a, a nonsense offside review right. uh, where where the clear and compelling evidence was from the overhead camera where apparently we can see like a millimeter of a skate being off from there. Uh, you know, it's it's probably the right call. We do have this rule. We got to deal with it. No, I'm not taking anything away from Minnesota, but you were literally that close to grabbing a win against a real good team in a tough building. I think Winnipeg's going to be OK. Um Montreal and Chicago, boy, I, I don't know that they're changing my mind, but certainly uh, I, I had some optimism with Chicago, as I'm sure a lot of people did based on all the moves they made. And Montreal, it, it's it's less optimism and more like I'm I'm going to shut up about this team because they proved me so wrong all through the playoffs last yeah. year. I'm not wading into this again. Um, but both of those teams have been outright bad early on and and you know for they, they've had their stretches chicago against the islanders you know for first period or so they, they were okay but uh there's those are teams that are deserve the records that they have and uh, you know when you look at montreal if you put the playoff run aside if you went back to april of of this year when they were fighting it out with calgary for the final playoff spot and you said hey by the way uh, next year, no Shea Weber, uh, no Carey Price, at least to start the season. Going to be some other guys come in and out, but you know they're going to be missing those two guys. You would have said, oh, wow, they're probably going to be really bad because uh, we didn't think they were a very good team last year until the playoffs started. And you know now they're missing their two key guys. Um, you know, maybe, that's as, maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's as simple as that. And, and the problem is in, in Montreal, there's, there's, there's a lot of problems, but there's three main ones. Weber's gone. He's not coming back. Price is gone. We don't know his status, but you know we we shouldn't expect him to be back anytime soon. The one piece of optimism, I guess, if you want to look at it this way, is that part of their problem is Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki aren't doing anything, and yeah. th- those are key pieces that the team is built around now. Um, that's not going to keep going. You know, Shea Weber isn't walking through that door. Carey Price isn't anytime soon. But the real Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki can show up anytime, and and when they do, this team will be better. And then. You look at Chicago, and I mean, the optimism there was they brought in Mark Andre Fleury, they brought in Seth Jones, Jonathan Taves is coming back. Those are three superstar, you know, potential Hall of Fame guys that are getting added to a lineup that weren't there last year. Um, so the team should be better. And none of those three guys have been very good so far. And you can understand with Taves, I mean, he's still getting getting back up to game speed, but those three guys haven't haven't done much. And if, if those three guys aren't going to be impact guys, then we're kind of left with the same team we had last year. And that team wasn't very good. And uh, I, I don't know what happens next in Montreal. Mark Bergerman told us we're not making any trades, uh, you know, the, so maybe they got to fight their way through. I feel like we all kind of know what's happening next in Chicago if this continues. Uh, and that's that's that it, it starts to feel like the coaching change is almost inevitable, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Mark Lazarus has kind of touched on that, saying it doesn't feel like there's anybody in-house that's waiting in the wings to take over from Jeremy Colleton. But, yeah, if this goes on for another few weeks, you, you kind of feel like that's the case. Now, you I, said, I don't you know, even know if it's weeks, honestly. Yeah, it I, might and, and be when, days, yeah. When you see a team go out and it's in its home opener and, and they're getting booed and, you know, the, it, and it's not like – I mean, any team can make a coaching change, but it's it's not like Jeremy Colleton was, was on – 
the firmest possible ground coming right. into this this season. Yeah. I mean, he he, you know, they kept him, uh, and that's a sign. And and the other piece is, and I know this isn't a good comparison uh, for for various reasons, but look at the last time Chicago started a season like this with a young coach, and they said, you know what? No, we're we're making the change. Four games in, Danny Savard gets fired. Joel Quenville comes in. That's two thousand nine or rather 2008-2009 season, one year from there, they were winning the Stanley Cup. Totally different team situation. And also, there's no Joel Quenville in-house waiting like he was back then. But John Tortorella's out there. Claude Julien is out there. There are some established names. And, you know, the, the old thinking in, in sports is you you fire one coach, you bring in the opposite. So they fire the young guy uh, who kind of came from inside the organization who wasn't really a name guy, but it worked his way up. Now you bring in the veteran, older, big name guy from outside. Um, I, I'm not rooting for it. I never root for anyone to lose their job, but it, it's starting to feel like there's some writing on the wall there uh, if it doesn't get turned around. And, and like I said, I, I, I don't think it's a weeks, plural situation if it keeps going this way. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, you said you didn't know what was next for the Montreal Canadiens. That's a little bit of a lie because here comes Jesperi Kotkaniemi. John, oh boy. it might be, uh, of all the timing, uh, this is not great timing if you're the Montreal Canadiens, you're winless. And here comes the well, guy that walk, walked away. Yeah, no, it's, sure. it's... But, but it's, what do you think? Is it's this, not this good is the timing. Good, is, it's good timing? Well, here's, here's the only reason it's good timing. Yeah, yeah, obviously, when you're Montreal and you're looking at the schedule and you you know he's coming in game five, you want to be 4-0. You want to be... You know, it's you run into your ex, right? You want to be in great shape, wearing your nice, you know, you're not. Oh, I, geez, look at me, I'm doing so well. And and right now, this is this oh, is the equivalent. They're in they're sweats, in mustard stains on oh, the front. You everywhere. know, they, they, they look awful. Oh. But the, the reason I said it might be a good timing is you're, you're 0 and 4. You know, Montreal has no points through four games, which means you know you just look at it. They have to win five in a row to even get back to playoff pace. And then stay there for the rest of the year. Like they're already digging a big hole. And at some point you kind of go, man, even if we, you want to take it one game at a time, but even if we win this next game, oh great, we're one and four. I mean, it's still a long way to go. But this is one of those games that could be kind of an inflection point where this is going to be a big game. There's going to be a ton of attention. The building is going to be electric. There's going to be a lot of emotion, uh, certainly from the fans. I I don't know how much from the players. We'll see. Um, If they go out and play great and win this game, that can maybe be one of those games where they say, you know what? Okay, that's where we draw the line. The before and after, it was the Kokanami game that that turned it around for us. And again, we, we just with Buffalo, we talked about narratives, and you know they have power sometimes. And uh, Montreal needs something to hang their hat on right now and say, okay, we've turned it around. We're we're not that team anymore going forward. A game like this, if they win it, can be that game. Now, if they lose it. Whew. And if Kakanami goes out, you know, he, he scores the winning goal, then it has the potential to really start to spiral for them. So it's it's a big one, and it's going to be fun. I mean, it's it's going to be fun for us to watch. Might not be fun to uh, to be uh, just Barry Kakanami or or any of the other players out there, but uh, it's it's going to be worth watching for sure. And it's uh, I think most of us had it circled as soon as we as soon as we saw the schedule come out, and uh, we're getting it early. Yeah, last time I looked this up, last time we had a game like this, October 28th, 2007. That was Dustin Penner's return to Anaheim. Okay. Um, October 28th, 2007. That's the first game Dustin Penner played with Edmonton in Anaheim. 
uh, after signing the offer sheet. So it's been 14 years since uh, kind of an offer sheet guy has gone home. Uh, Penner, by the way, that night, uh, no points, no goals. Uh, didn't do much. Edmonton won the game, but I, I mean, I don't And there was remember. a mysterious barn that was built in the that's parking right. lot that we that's can't. That's right, the Honda yeah. Center. What's this barn being raised? It's uh, happening. All mm. of a sudden here. But, you know, I, I think that this might have the potential to be the most, you know, charged night of the season, regardless of whether it's in Montreal or not. Like, like, like this has the recipe for all sorts of. I'm not saying it's like it's going to be like the Richard riots or anything mm-hmm. from back in the day, but it does feel like, like you said, it could be an inflection point. It could be this galvanizing moment, but it could also be really nasty and ugly, and and it could end up being the night where the fans are angry at Kotkaniemi. They're also mad at their their own team. Like they're, mm-hmm. they they might not be happy at all. And you saw five thousand empty seats the other night at the Bell Center, which is not typical for. Um, you know, a Canadian market like Montreal, obviously I think it's reflective of uh, kind of maybe how people are feeling about going to large gatherings indoors. And, yeah. Um, that's probably the biggest reason why, but the hockey team on the ice is not really doing much to draw them in uh, either at this stage of the game. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I imagine the building will be pretty full uh, for, for this game, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Cause you know, a lot of times when you see games like this, you know, for example, the other one that you might circle is, is, you know, when Tom Wilson's back in New York, that'll be a, a big one. And, you know, when, when Claude Lemieux came back to Detroit or that sort of thing. But those are things where the bad blood is between the players, too. Again, I'm not sure how much of that is here. I'm, I'm sure to some extent in Montreal, there's going to be this feeling of this guy abandoned us. He, you know, he 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 wanted to be somewhere else. But you know what? Guys leave as free agents all the time. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, and. And, you know, I say, hey, if I'm Nick Suzuki, I'm sitting there, I'm giving the guy a standing ovation because I got a huge contract out of this because they wanted to make sure that uh, that I wasn't going to have that opportunity. So uh, it, it's it'll be interesting to see. It might be this weird dichotomy where you've got the crowd going crazy and hitting a guy. But meanwhile, on the ice, it's, it's just kind of a typical game. But sometimes, you know, the, the crowd can can influence the way the game happens. Uh, we'll see. It's, it's going to be a very nasty crowd towards him. To start, Carolina gets out to a hot start, gets a couple of goals early. It shifts I, right That energy team. isn't going to go away, but it yeah. is going to shift exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. And uh, by the way, you know, I know that uh, Sarah Sivian joined uh, Arpin uh, and 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 company on the uh, the Habs podcast there, uh, talking about this. So that's that's a great uh, opportunity for our listeners to check that out too. Uh, and speaking of Sarah, kicking off the style ranking, Sean. On the athletic, yeah. as we start to see some teams kind of loosen it up with the with the dress code. Now, remember, this started in the pandemic, in the bubble, when NHL teams said, "You know what? No need for you to go into a game in a suit because you're just going. It's in the bubble. Have some fun, be relaxed." And now that we're out of the bubble, into uh, back to kind of quote unquote normal, you're seeing some teams. Arizona at the top of the list, and I believe what Toronto now is starting to relax the dress code. Yeah, you, relaxed you, you, it. They went business casual, which yeah, is they went kinda, business. But but, it, but hey, that's a that's a quantum step forward in yeah. the NHL. And, and you so, know what? And and you you said it. It was Arizona that did it first, and they loosened it all the way. And we, you know, I I had my fun with Arizona as far as what's happening on the ice. But full credit to them. We need teams. To, uh, to to step forward. I, I was surprised to, to learn that, you know, in the CBA, this is written in. You got to wear the suit and tie unless your team says no. I mean, weren't you kind of surprised that like Vegas or somebody hadn't already done this? You you would think, but um, good. good. Anything, I, I don't care what people wear. Uh, I don't, I'm not interested in, in fashion. Anyone that's ever met me would uh, uh, know that uh, immediately upon meeting yeah, uh, me. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, Let's just the say current- you and I, I don't think we're very high on the list of candidates yeah. to host this uh, fashion. Uh, yeah, how come they didn't? Uh, I think we didn't our get Kirk- asked. Our Kirkland brand jeans were a dead giveaway. Yeah, they're yeah, like, what exactly. are these guys? Uh, go- yeah, they, they, they didn't even CC us on what, the email for this. What, what shade of gray T-shirt should this guy be wearing? Yeah, that's that's pretty <laughs> much as, as far as it would go with us. But I don't look, I don't care. And in fact, I... I Kind of turned away, like, oh, Austin Matthews is dressed like a Final Fantasy character. Okay, good, good for him, man. Just score a goal tonight. That's that's all I care. But what I do care is, I, I care about a world in some wonderful future where NHL players aren't expected to be robots. Who you know that where the culture just crushes any personality out, out of them. If this is a 
a small crack in that that we can we can start letting these guys shine through a little bit and just get rid of this idea that anyone who's even slightly different is is doing something wrong and being a distraction and all this other nonsense. In that case, I'm all for it. And yes, go ahead, uh, do your do your business casual. Um, good good luck. Can't can't wait to see what William Nealander is 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 wearing. Uh, and I I promise, even I will pretend that I care if if it'll get everyone in the hockey world to loosen up a little bit. Well, I had to chuckle too because Austin Matthews was the cover uh, story for an ESPN magazine article, and his his look his outfit was uh, atypical of a hockey player, right? It was neon it was bright it was okay and i see all these people you that's why you'll never win with this guy and, and you know you see that stupid narrative but all yeah. i could think of you tell me if you and i'm sure you'll remember this the early 90s doug gilmore did a whole bunch of ads wearing cow legs mm-hmm. remember like oh, yeah. fake cow legs for a milk commercial yep. and i'm pretty sure they won with that guy and he had fake cow legs like painted on, they, or they were pants, or whatever. They won it was. a lot more than they usually did. Yeah, that yeah. that was so, uh, like that. I don't, that, I that, don't those get were it. Pretty bad though. <laughs> we didn't like those. Us Leaf fans. That was one of those things where, it, like, ninety three era Gilmore was just the coolest guy on the planet, and we were just like, we love everything. He's got the leather jacket and the motorcycle, and oh, this is the coolest guy. There is nothing this guy could do that would make him uncool. And then that commercial comes on the screen. And you're just like, wow, all right, I've got a lot to think about because that's uh, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the milk commercial. Oh, well. Did you ever hear the story, by the way, just speaking of Doug Gilmore wearing things, do you ever hear the story <laughs> of uh, how Doug Gilmore used to sneak into Maple Leaf Gardens uh, in that era when uh, he was, you know, the, the Maple Leaf Gardens, if people don't know, it's it was a smaller building in terms of, you know, it was right on downtown streets. It wasn't like the, the buildings now where there's all these entrances he had to sneak in the back, uh, and you know how he would do it? He would put on a Doug Gilmore jersey and go through the crowd that way, and people would just let him. They'd be like, is that the – oh, this guy's wearing a Doug Gilmore jersey. That's some fan trying to look like Doug Gilmore, and they just let him go walk right by, and then he'd walk in the building, and they go, wait a second, was that actually Doug Gilmore? But by that time, it was too late. He disguised himself as himself in order to get through a crowd of people that were looking for him. It's it's This is like a Christopher Nolan needs to make a movie about it. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I like that – Brings up another story. So I did years ago. I, I wrote. A, I, I helped Jamie McLennan, who a uh, longtime goalie NHL. I helped him write his book. And Noodles, his nickname. Uh, Jamie's very good friends. Obviously played in Calgary. Good friends with Jerome McGinley. And he tells a great story in that book of they're all in Vegas. It's Aginla and Jamie and a bunch of the Flames guys, and they convince Aginla. They're like, would you be able to do one lap around the pool in Vegas wearing a Jerome McGinley jersey, wearing your own jersey? Would anybody <laughs> notice you or recognize you? I'm like, I love those things, right? Those are awesome yeah. stories. That I, and I think one guy ended up recognizing him uh, and 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 knowing it. But well, like, those are the cool. Obviously, the cool that stories, guy right? didn't work at the uh, the weather station in was it Boston where they interviewed. Oh my, Brian Trottier. No, in Pittsburgh. No, no, there was, oh, it was Trachi, but Aginla too. Aginla got interviewed oh, yeah, in like right. uh, Boston. Oh, and it was yeah, like, he was right. just like, yeah, it's really cold. Uh, you know, yeah. I've got to drive local, careful, everyone. <laughs> local uh, local resident. Yeah. Yeah. Local Cambridge resident. Yeah. Did, did you see the other one the other day with Brian Trottier? Yes, I did. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, uh, that uh, a local TV station in Pittsburgh. I don't know if it was a fire or a car. And they were like, they're just getting just people Brian. on the street. They're like, yeah. Brian. It's like that's Brian Trotchy. And and Luongo too had it happen in Vancouver, I think. Didn't didn't Luongo have Did one he? where he was actually like he was out for one of his runs or something and he was uh he was he was out there. So yeah, good old good old NHL. <laughs> we market our stars. Boy, do we ever Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine any other sport? Hey LeBron, just see if you could <laughs> make it one time around yeah. uh the parking lot wearing your jersey. Yeah, just one yeah. time. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it wouldn't happen. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
All right, I promised this off the top, had some fun uh, mailbag questions and submissions. A reminder, you need to hit us up. You can do so a couple of ways. Uh, one way, you can drop us an email to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, or like this caller did, you can leave us an old school voicemail. Have a listen. Again, the phone number, it's 845-445-8459. And uh, this caller's got, and I, I like how he specifically only says this is for Down Goes Brown, doesn't want anything to do with me, but here we go. Have a listen. Uh, kind of an interesting date to circle on the calendar coming up later this month. Message for uh, Down Goes Brown specifically and uh, hockey history. Uh, I do believe on October 26th, Seattle and Montreal will be meeting for the first time since the 1919 Stanley Cup when Game 5 uh, was canceled and the series never finished. And uh, I think this is worth uh, kind of looking into because I think there's reason to believe this might be a big deal at Climate Pledge Arena that second night after the Kraken. Just a thought. All right. First time since 1917, Sean. It's Seattle. It's Montreal in Seattle. Yeah. A little bit, little bit has changed. I got to be. I, it's, well, you know, a bit. Yeah. It's, uh, well, it's Chara still, still in the league. And, yeah. yeah. We're still. Yeah. It's uh, that was a very cool call. And because I got to be honest, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're we're. We're getting game six is finally going to be played. We're going to finally resume the series. The the infamous 1919 uh, uh, pandemic shortened uh, Stanley Cup uh, series from back when uh, this this is back. People are confused going, I didn't think Seattle had an NHL team. They didn't. This was back when the Montreal, the, the NHL champion, Montreal Canadiens in this case, played a champion from another league for the for the Stanley Cup. And. Uh, it gets cut short by the pandemic, uh, hits both teams, but hits Montreal especially hard uh, with the series tied. And, and a lot of people don't remember this part. Um, as as part of that, because it was Montreal that was hit so hard, they went to Seattle and said, we, we will forfeit. You win the Stanley Cup. And Seattle said, no, we're not doing it. We're not we're not going to win it that way. We don't want it. We'll we'll hold off until until you guys are well enough to finish. And then that never ended up happening because it just got worse and worse and um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. It'll be interesting to see if that's mentioned at all. Um, in, in a way, it's sort of a weird time in the schedule. Uh, you know, we haven't even seen Seattle host a, a home game yet. So, uh, you know, they, maybe they don't want to dip right into the history books a hundred years prior, uh, right out of the, right out of the gate like this, but it'll be neat. I, I asked, uh, even when I heard the voicemail, I asked, uh, our, our buddy Ryan Clark who covers Seattle for us. And I said, do you know if they're doing anything? And he said that he didn't know if they were, but they're being pretty tight-lipped on on how they're going to approach the, those first few home games. So we'll see. Uh, but it's it's kind of cool. This is uh, you know there is a connection between these two uh, these two cities uh, as far as uh, a history that a lot of people don't know. And and uh, um, it's not often you get uh, you get expansion teams with hundred year plus history stories that they can break out. But we got one here. Yeah, and you know, for for people wondering, because that series essentially got suspended on the Stanley Cup trophy itself, it for 1919, obviously there's no winner. It simply says 1919, Montreal Canadiens, Seattle Metropolitans, series not completed. So that's what's on the Stanley Cup. I love your, you know what? Maybe they should go to the league and say, let's just pick it up. Yep. It's game five, and the the next three meetings or two meetings, whatever, will determine... Uh, that the 1919 then, Stanley Cup, we got to go back it, and it's a pandemic. And but but you know, like put the it, names it, on, yeah. And, and I think it's in like uh, one of the Montreal Canadiens' best players on that team was a guy named Joe Hall, who ended up dying, yep. uh, because of the, 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 the Spanish flu. And like that, like I guess, shows you the severity of it that a you know, young guy in his in his um, in his prime, yeah, hospitalized and died, literally died. Uh, within mm-hmm. a week of, of quite the a few Cup. players were were hospitalized. The, yeah. the manager of the Canadians, I think George Kennedy uh, was the manager. Was and George Kennedy, up, uh, very very well known. He, he got quite sick later. and yeah. really never reco- recovered. Yeah. It was a few years. Uh, it was a bad situation. So, um, yeah, and and Seattle, of course, also 
did win a Stanley Cup uh, in, in, in a different year. And in fact, uh, they were the first ever American city to win the Stanley Cup, not as an NHL team. Um, but they did, uh, they did beat Montreal for, for a Stanley Cup. So they've got that history there again, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Kraken are coming in. They, they want to be new and cool and hip and, and maybe, uh, they don't want to go too deep in the history books, but it's a neat story. And it's, it's one that a lot of fans don't, I mean, geez, if, if you're, if you're a hockey fan and you just listen to the NHL, you think that the NHL started with six teams and didn't have any history before that, but but it did. This this was part of it. Okay, so it when when Montreal and Seattle face each other later this month, it'll be the first time that they meet, uh, pretty much in in about a hundred years, right? Like it's been a century. Mm-hmm. If you could press pause right now, on any hockey series, any matchup, you're like, you know what? I've had my fill. I'll see you in a hundred years. Yeah, Boston Bruins playoffs. Yeah, I- we're done. <laughs> We're out. I figured it. We're not doing that again. Yeah, I figured Forget that's it. exactly what it was going to be. Give me 200 just to be we'll safe. We'll see you in the year 2125 yeah, or something gonna, like we'll, that. We'll see 100 years from now, and hopefully Marner's got a goal by then. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I think it's, it is it is a cool story, and I really appreciate that, uh, that, that voicemail that we got. And we do want to remind people, yeah, hit us up uh, with a voicemail because that's a cool way to get a hold of us, 845-445-8459. Uh, this one comes in from Chris. So this is an email now. Chris from Dayton, Ohio, uh, has written in and uh, being in Ohio. Chris just recently attended uh, the aforementioned Seattle Kraken uh, playing against Columbus. And uh, Chris says, hey, I was at the Jackets Kraken game on Saturday. Only one penalty was called the entire game. That was a Cole Sillinger cross check. That was questionable at best. I want to know, guys, has there ever been a game without a single penalty in the NHL? That's from Chris and Dayton. Yeah, there, there has been. Uh, yeah. they're, they're rare. Uh, obviously it's, it's the old, uh, I, I'm sure it doesn't exist anymore, but when we were kids, you had the SO penalty free sweepstakes, uh, and you could, you could break that out whenever you, you saw an NHL game go without, um, you don't see it very often. Although weirdly, one of those crazy coincidences, if you do want to see one, uh, go see a game seven, because there's a real good chance that that'll be the one where suddenly there's, there's no penalties called. I, I feel like we even had one recently, didn't, wasn't there a playoff? Maybe a game seven with no uh, penalties last year. Yeah, with with just no penalties at all. Where I mean, the, the officials put put the whistles away. You know, I remember the the famous Leafs Red Wings game seven in '93 had only one penalty, and it was called very very late because they just let everything go. Um, so yeah, in answer to the question, yes, it has happened. It's it's not all that rare. Um, you know, it happens a few times a year, especially these days. Probably a lot less in in the '70s and '80s, but uh, it, it does happen. Um, but certainly not very common. Yeah, so I I did look it up. So last season we did get a couple of these. Do we call them perfect games or whatever we call them? Well, call that them kind of, that's let's call them penalty free games because penalty free perfect games. is maybe in the eye of the beholder. It's funny though because Chris from Dayton, the last time that there was a perfect game involved those uh, very same Columbus Blue Jackets, March thirteenth last season, Columbus and Dallas played a four three overtime game in which, uh, from what I looked up, uh, neither team took a penalty. So there, that was a perfect game. Good stuff. There you go. Um, next question. As we keep rolling on here, opening up uh, the mailbag. Joel writes in, I really enjoyed when you guys did a podcast episode this summer. On the 10 most likable players in NHL history, I was super happy to see my heroes, Paul Correa and Tibu Solani, were included on your list. I'd like for you guys, though, to circle back and evaluate how you think Paul Correa's career would have turned out if he did not suffer the injuries that forced him into early retirement. Personally, I think that 97-98 season in particular, he could have been a Hart Trophy winner had he not been cross-checked by Gary Suter. And, you know, Sean, yeah. you and I, that was our last year of university. We were huge, uh, you know, hockey fans at the time and uh, Canadian hockey fans. And when it happened, we knew right away, boy, our Team Canada wasn't going to look very good for uh, for Nagano. Yeah, knocked him out of the out of the Olympics. He had uh, He had come in... So he comes in as a rookie in the lockout year 95, comes out of college, has a pretty good year. Year two has 108 points and it right out, you know, really his first full season. And then year three, he's got, he's 22 years old, has 99 points in just 69 games. So the injuries are already starting to be a factor there. Uh, But he finishes second in the Hart Trophy voting that year. So yeah, to say that, you know, the next year he starts off, he's, he's playing well over a point a game, 31 points, 22 games, on pace for 110 plus points. Absolutely. MVP, certainly 
was uh, was in the conversation. And you know, he did get back to the hundred point mark in uh, in ninety nine. Uh, and and you know, with him, it, it's not. It's kind of like Lindros, right? Like it's it's yeah. not like there was one key injury where you're like he was good, he was good, he was good, and then he got hurt, and that was it. It, it, it was it was a number of things that added up. Obviously, we all remember the cross check. We all remember Scott Stevens in the 2003 Stanley Cup Final uh, and Korea coming back and scoring the goal, which at the time was this amazing moment, Pro- maybe one of the all time great moments that just doesn't hold up today the way it, or at least you can't view it today yeah. the way that we did back then. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Paul Korea, and, and then he's, he's out of the league entirely by, by the age of 35, which I was, I'm always a bit surprised when I see that. Cause I, I always remember him as a guy who was done earlier than that, but, but a lot of injury shortened years didn't get to a thousand games in his career. Uh, really after that 2003, after that run to the finals with Anaheim, that was really his last year as a, a truly elite player. I had some pretty good years in Nashville. Um, but didn't, you know, it was not good when he went the one year in Colorado, say by the time he went to St. Louis not the same player at all. Yeah. He, I mean, it, it's, it's not that hard to look at him and go, could he have had a similar trajectory to a guy like Timo Selenik where he played very well and into his forties and, you know, Paul Korea did eventually make the hall of fame, but you know, was, was he going to be an all time elite guy instead of just a question mark guy? It's, it's a tough one. And, uh, it's. Uh, he, he was really phenomenal to watch, especially on an Anaheim team that wasn't all that good back then. Um, boy, he was, he was really something to see and, uh, just the injuries and the nature of the game, you know, when, when you talk about, you know, these days, even today, there's a bias against smaller players. Oh, let's see how they hold up. But when you were coming up in the nineties, uh, it, it really was tough to be a smaller guy like he was and, and the league treated him the way that, that. Guys like that were treated, which meant pretty much anything anything goes. And uh, unfortunately, it, it really did cut his career short. Yeah, th- there's a handful of guys I think of in that era who I wonder, like, what would their careers have been if they didn't get hurt? You mentioned Lindros. You mentioned Korea. Mm-hmm. I think of Peter Forsberg, too. I think Peter, Peter had some real yep. injuries that really hampered his career. I always wonder what would a have been there. A lot of different ones too. Yeah, yeah. and weird stuff with, with Peter, like foot stuff and, spleen. and groin. Yeah. And, yeah, the spleen in the O2 playoffs. Uh, I think of Cam Neely. I, I think Cam was mm-hmm. arguably the best power forward at the time that he got taken out in the early 90s there and, and, and came back and it felt like he was duct taped together and yet was getting basically 50 goals in 50 games. Like what would, what would a fully healthy Cam Neely have been yep. like for... Uh- and, and, you know, at the apex of his career, I don't know. And, and then the other guy, guy that you saw a lot of, Pavel Bure, if his yeah. knees hadn't gone on him, um, boy, I mean, he he was racking up huge numbers even on two bad knees by the time he got to Florida. If if he had been able to keep, I mean, there's there's just any number of guys, and and it's 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 unfortunate. And, and some of this this wasn't all headshots and you know big hits and that sort of thing. You know, some of it was just guys getting getting beaten up and uh you know it does happen and it still happens today and and you just wish that if if the style of the game had been different or even if we just had the more modern treatment on some of these things you know that yeah. uh, what would have happened uh you know obviously there there's no you know there, there's no greater what ifs than you know if, if Bobby Orr stays healthy and then if Mario Lemieux stays healthy um the, yeah. you know the, the the record book probably doesn't look anything like what it looks like now um, just, just so much of that in hockey. And, uh, it's, it's, it's good that we're finally slowly, but surely starting to drag ourselves towards putting some sort of priority on safety. If only just selfishly as fans, because how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of games of, of elite players have we missed over the years? Because guys just, just couldn't, couldn't keep playing through all the injuries. Yeah. All right. One more. And I, I teed this up off the top of the show. Uh, this is an email we got from Jay who says he's making a strong case to be your personal Down Goes Brown intern. We talked about this. You have so many quirky stories that you research with weird numbers. I've always thought you need your own crack research team. Why not enlist the help of our listeners here on the Athletic Hockey Show? They can basically be your intern. Jay says, look, I'm making a run to be the DGB intern. So I decided to look up uh, what you guys were talking about in the podcast to see, is there? A game that every year in the regular season, this is what I brought up. I was like, well, imagine if every year we found out every team that wins the Stanley Cup, like if you win game number 27 of the season, 
that's your tick. Like that should be the teams that we circle because somebody who won that night is going to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, win the Stanley Cup. Jay says, look, unfortunately, in the 13 full seasons in the lockout era, we have not seen a single game where the eventual Stanley Cup champion won it. However, 11 times in the 13 full seasons we've seen, the eventual Stanley Cup champion won games 33, 54, and 77. Sounds like I'm reading lotto numbers here, bingo numbers. Mm -hmm. So 33, 54, 77. And I'm assuming that's not the same 11 teams. I'm guessing that means that, that you know, that those are the games yeah. that have been the most important. But yeah, so there you go. It's analytics, folks. This is... Uh, Games this, if you want to get hired by the Sabres, this is you got to go in there and tell them it's 33, 54, 77. Those are the ones you got to watch. And, uh, you know, if uh, if if your team is playing another team and it's both of those teams, 33rd games, you're, you're basically watching game seven in the Stanley Cup final. So <laughs> get in there and and and, uh, and watch. And, you know, Jay is not looking for a ton. He's not looking for a huge financial reward here to be your intern. He mm -hmm. says, I'm a 36-year-old American. I just want to be paid in bags of all-dressed chips and coffee crisps. Yeah, we could probably, you know what? I'll even send you a bag of milk just as a, as a down payment. I'll throw that in the mail tomorrow, and uh, you should get it in a couple of weeks. Multiple milk references on this edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. There you go. Uh, Gilmore and this, and not ketchup chips. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you know, that, that's, uh, that, that did catch my attention, but I'm... You know what? In this world, we'll let everyone have their uh, their. But yeah, I'm gonna throw a couple ketchup chips in there too for you, buddy. Okay, so here we go. Wrapping up the show as we always do with a little this week in hockey history. I wanted to ask, actually ask you about this one first because October the 20th, 1965. It was the last time we ever saw what the NHL used to do, which was they would actually play the All Star Game before the season. So this the the team that won the Stanley Cup the year before would actually play a team of all-stars uh, that were put together by the league. So, for example, if we did it this year, it would be Tampa Bay would play against a bunch of players from around the league. I'm not focused on that so much as, would you actually think that there's merit to playing the all-star game before the season? That maybe it's a good way to launch the season from a marketing perspective. Yeah. From a from, from a marketing a perspective, launch yeah, it and, and, and the players don't really they don't take it that seriously. So I'm not worried they're going to get hurt. It's a nice way no. to kind of ease into it. I I think I don't hate the idea of a if you're going to do the All Star game, maybe we do it in the beginning of the season. I I don't hate it either, and uh, you know it's uh, uh, look the NHL All Star game is terrible. It's awful. It's 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 absolutely. I know they've tried all these different ways to do it. It's absolutely terrible because the players don't care. The players don't try. And you can, you know, you can watch a decent baseball game where guys are playing 80%. You know, basketball, eh, not as good. Football stinks and hockey stinks. So it's it's terrible. So first of all, I love this idea because it gets the all-star break off of the schedule. Get it out of the way. Put it in the preseason where I'm already used to not paying attention. But uh, also, yeah, maybe we get a little bit more effort if it was like the let's gear up, let's get going. You know, the, the, there wouldn't be anywhere near as much injuries and wear and tear and you wouldn't have to drag the players. Uh, you know, they'd probably be happy. Hey, like, what? so I get out of getting bag skated at training camp for three days. I'm there, uh, you know, send me over. Uh, it'll probably never happen. I'm sure the NHL's crunch the numbers and they make it, you know, they know that none of us like the all-star game. It's all for the corporate partners and, and all of the rest of it. And, and, and I say none of us like it. If you're a little kid, yes, little kids love the all-star game and that's still fun. Um, but they probably make more money doing it in, in February, but if they could shift it to September, yeah, let's, let's do it then and get it out of the way. It, it's like, it's like eating your vegetables first before you get onto the good stuff, get the all-star game out of here, yeah. cancel a couple of preseason games. Hey, two birds with one stone and, and then let's go. Yeah. October 21st, 1988, as we roll on with a little This Week in Hockey History. October 21st, 1988, New York Rangers play a game in which both Guy Lafleur and Marcel Dion score as teammates. Now, the reason why this is interesting and noteworthy, obviously they're both Hall of Famers, but way back when they were both drafted 1-2 overall. And I was wondering, and maybe you know the answer to this, how many other players that were drafted number one and number two overall 
ended up becoming teammates later on in the NHL in the way that Guy Lafleur and Marcel Dion did. Yeah, I, I I don't know the answer as far as an exact number. It's it's I don't think all that uncommon. Now, how many players of the stature of Guy Lafleur and Marcel Dion that went one and two played together? That's probably a tougher one. But you know, the the reality is most years. The one and two, you know, a lot of times at least one of them ends up becoming a journeyman and they bounce around a lot. So, uh, you know, you you get these weird combos. Like, for example, Pat Falloon played for the Flyers for a bunch of years when Eric Lindros was there. Not exactly a Guy Lafleur to his Marcel Dion, but, uh, you know, those are one-two guys uh, who played together. Uh, Roman Hammerlick and Yashin played together for the Islanders uh, for, for, uh, for quite a few years, uh, I think. Um the big one, though, the, the one that people are probably yelling out right now, that certainly of the modern era, would be Thornton and Marlowe. They go one and two, Boston, yeah. San Jose, and then, of course, Thornton winds up uh, there. And, uh, you know, they, they've scored in the same game plenty of times. Beyond that, I, I'm willing to bet there's a few more. Certainly, there's some. You look down the list, I, I'm, geez, I don't know what teams Gord Kluzak played when, went and played for, probably a whole lot. So, uh, you know, the guys like that bounced around a lot. I, I'd, I'd be willing to bet there's there's a few more combos like that. But as far as guys like Lafleur and Dion, I mean, that's that's up there with uh, probably, I don't know, maybe Ovechkin-Malkin as far as best one-two punches in the yeah. draft or, you know, maybe uh, maybe a few others. But uh, there's it's a short list, and it, and it was pretty cool that all those years later, and, and of course Lafleur had even been retired, he was a Hall of Famer. Uh, in that game, not not a future one. He was in the Hall of Fame because he had been retired that long. Right. Um, that was very cool to see them play together. Yeah, it is. It, it's weird to think of Guy Lafleur as a Ranger. Like you think yeah. of him as a Hab, and I think a lot of people think of him. Oh yeah, he's, he ended in Quebec, but he had this weird little sandwich stop mm-hmm. with the Rangers. No, the big the big comeback. I mean, it's it's the Phil Esposito era, man. Like it, it was just absolutely crazy in New York. Anything could happen. Trading their coach, bringing back literal Hall of Famers. It, it's just, uh, it was it was a fun era for sure. Okay, let's sneak one more in here because I think this is pretty cool. October 23rd, 1983. So now we're going back almost 40 years. 1983, this week in 1983, Rich Sutter scored his first goal in the NHL, making him the sixth member of the Sutter family to score a goal. They become the first family with six siblings to score an NHL goal. On the list of all-time unbreakable records in sports, I'm thinking this might be almost untouchable. This might be in the Glenn Hall starting 500 straight games, whatever. Like, how are you ever going to get a family where seven brothers play in the NHL? Yeah, it's and not, not going to happen. In, in, in all the sports, yeah, that's it. You gotta you need seven to break it. And it's not seven family members. Because that Seven. feels doable because, I mean, there's like only 10 families making NHL players anymore. But yeah, uh, yeah siblings, I, unless like Philip Rivers' kids all make the NFL, then maybe we got a shot. But I don't think uh, I don't think we're going much further than that. That that was pretty amazing. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to I don't think we're going to have too many uh, too many combos take a run at that. Although, well, oops. Who knows at the at the rate we're going? I, I, is there is there another wave of Kachuks on the way? Like, do we have uh, yeah. anything any of that to worry about? It's a good question. I Hopefully. don't know like, how many of those Molina brothers are catchers. There's three of them. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. That, uh, that to me is is not going to like. Was it going to be a family that the Stalls took a run at it? Yeah, the they the, had three. The right? took, and then there was a fourth. You're, you're a Cowboys play. fan. Are there any more digs out there ready? Oh to, my god, to, I'd to love to catch footballs really well. Yeah, uh, that'd be yeah. That'd there's be uh, you know yeah two two is two yeah we see two all the time three is pretty cool four you could get to four six I don't think yeah, it's, six uh, I don't six, think we're at six it, but, at the same time but and we're talking about breaking that record so that would require seven yeah it's over seven stop it I don't yeah I think it's uh, I don't think it's very likely let's let's put it that way yeah all right. Listen, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. This was uh, a lot of fun as always. Listen, uh, thanks for uh, for the hour here. This was uh, this was fun. It flew by. Uh, multiple milk references, uh, which I didn't see coming. So uh, this was uh, this was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Right on. 
Alrighty. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll hit you up again next week. Uh, drop us a voicemail. Like I said, I appreciated that call from the fan about the Kraken, uh, or the Seattle-Montreal matchup. 845-445-8459. That's the way you can get us. And if you're not a subscriber with The Athletic, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. You'll get an annual subscription for just $3.99 a month.